Turn to John chapter 14, and we're picking up where we left off last week. We left off at verse 14 of chapter 14, and we left off with an incredible statement that Jesus made, a statement that is pretty huge, pretty incredible, one that we could oftentimes, I think, find ourselves even abusing or misusing, and so here's what Jesus said. He said in verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. How many people went home last week and tried to put this into practice? <laughs> Jesus, I need a larger bank account. I need a new car. Hopefully it wasn't anything else like, you know, a new spouse or anything. That would be wrong. We need to pray for you then. No. But but we can all be putting this into practice in a way where we're thinking, yes, okay, I'm praying in the name of Jesus. I should be receiving this now. Uh, this has got to be it. And we can oftentimes be abusing and misusing. Well, Jesus gave us some parameters there on this when he said, if you pray in my name, which meant if you pray according to my will, according to my nature, my character, if you pray in line with, with who I am and my will. But then he also gives us now Another parameter I think that is very helpful and good here in verse 15 where we pick it up and it says this, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. This is the way that Jesus says, if you love me, you're gonna demonstrate that by keeping my commandments. You're gonna do what I desire. You're gonna wanna follow my will. Now, what does that look like exactly? Because we got a lot of commandments through God's word. But remember when there was one man that came to Jesus asking that question, which is the greatest of the commandments? It's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 39. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This lawyer asked him. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, Jesus sums up all the law, every commandment, he sums it up in this, love. Love God, love your fellow neighbor. Love, it's wrapped up in love. In fact, Jesus says, this is what all the law and the prophets are hinging on, hanging on, is these two aspects, loving God, loving your neighbor. It's, it's all wrapped up right there in that. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. And if you're obeying my commands, it's all going to be wrapped up in love anyways. Loving him, loving one another. That's how we're going to demonstrate how we're doing, where our heart is at. Are we truly following Jesus as disciples? It's going to be summed up in loving him, but that love is going to be shown in evidence by following his commandments. Now you might look at that and think, oh my goodness. Okay, I know you summed it up here. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor. I, I know you summed it up, Jesus, but still... This is a pretty tall order. This is pretty big because love isn't something that I just naturally do, right? You ever felt that way? Ever looked at somebody and thought, Lord, is this person maybe exempt from this because have you seen them? Have you seen what they're like? Jesus, surely you didn't mean them in this love your neighbor as yourself. No. See, this isn't something that we easily or naturally do, but... This is where it gets so good. Because Jesus says, yeah, you're gonna obey my commands if you love me, but I'm not gonna leave you on your own in this. See, we pick it up here in verse 15 now with another wonderful statement, or sorry, verse 16 as we move into this here. And, and let me just, before you get there, I know you're all reading verse 16, hold on. Jesus in chapter 14 is laying out here now a comfort for 
troubled hearts. That's how he starts the verse in chapter 14, verse one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So he's dealing with his disciples that are, they're anxious, they're troubled in heart. They're, they're a little bit stressed out because they've been hearing Jesus talk about going away. And they're all thinking, wait, no, hold on. We need you, Jesus. You can't leave us. We need you. And he starts talking about one of the disciples betraying him. And he talks to Peter about Peter denying him. They're all thinking, everything's falling apart, man. We've had a good ride, but now it sounds like everything's falling apart here. And they're stressed out, they're worried, but Jesus comes to comfort them. And he comforts them in, in, in a, a number of different ways there in that first part. And then in chapter, the, the rest of chapter 14 here now, we're gonna see some more truths that Jesus is laying out here now to comfort these troubled hearts. And so he's gonna talk about here the power of the Holy Spirit, the provision of the Father, and the peace of Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit, the provision of the Father, and the peace of Jesus. We're gonna see just kind of the work of the whole Trinity now as we continue on to finish up chapter 14. So notice what he says here in verse 16. Because Jesus says, I want you to pray and I want that prayer to be linked out of love for me. In other words, you're not gonna be praying selfishly. You're gonna be praying with a love for me to desire my will and to serve others. So that love is centered even in your prayer. But then we also see now that Jesus is praying for us out of his love for us. Notice we read there verse 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth to whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know for he dwells with you and will be in you. Amen. So Jesus is saying, hey guys, love me. And if you love me, you're gonna follow my commands. But I'm not gonna leave you alone on this. Because I know if I left this up to you, oh my goodness, we're not going to get past day one. This is going to be a flop. This is going to be a fail. This is going to get up on YouTube. This is not going to look good. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone on this. I'm going to pray the Father, and he's going to give you another helper. And that's speaking of the Holy Spirit. That word helper here is the Greek word parakletos, and it means comforter. What did Jesus say to his disciples in the first verse of chapter 14? Don't let your hearts be what? Troubled. What did they need? Comfort. They need help. They needed hope. And Jesus says, I'm going to send the helper, the comforter, the parakletos. And that idea means that he's going to come alongside you. Call to one side is what it means. And it, it really is is to one's aid, it's primarily a verbal adjective and suggests the capability or adaptability for giving aid. And it was used in a court of justice to denote a legal assistant, counsel for the defense or an advocate. And remember what we read in 1 John 1, or sorry, chapter two, verse one. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we see that Jesus ascends to heaven. He's on our side. He's interceding. He's an advocate for us. But he also has sent us the Holy Spirit to come alongside us, to help us, to comfort us, to be a help to us. You see, this is what the Holy Spirit is called to do. And so it's a wonderful work that we see happening here now, and that is available for us here. So we look at this and we go, man, that sounds good. I need it. I like it. Where do I sign up? How do I get this? What's the, what's the working of the Holy Spirit? How does this get applied into my life? Well, there's 
a few different Greek words used in the New Testament to really kind of show the working of the Holy Spirit. First in the life of the unbeliever, but to lead them to Jesus and then the work in the believer's life. Three Greek words, para and, and epi. So the first word, para, simply means to come alongside, all right? If you're sick, you, something's happening, you're gonna call a paramedic. A man is gonna come to your side that's gonna help you, right? So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he, first of all, Jesus says at the end of verse 17 that he dwells with you. He comes alongside you. So what's the role of the Holy Spirit right now in the world? He comes alongside people to draw them to Jesus, right? To, to woo them, to reveal Jesus, to convict them of sin as we'll see later on here, uh, not, not today, in a couple Sundays coming up here. Um, but he draws people to Jesus. So he's coming alongside them. And then when a person gives their life, responds to the drawing of the Holy Spirit because no one comes to the Father except the Spirit draws them, right? So the Spirit draws them. Once they've come to faith in Jesus, they put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Well, now the Holy Spirit is in you. It's a Greek word in. So Jesus says, he will be with you and will be in you. Do you see that right at the end of verse 17? You're all tracking with me? I'm not making this up. It's all right there in the word, okay? He'll be with you and will be in you. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So once a person commits their life to Jesus, they've received the forgiveness of sin, they repented of sin, they put their trust in Jesus. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is now dwelling in you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 to 14 says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? The Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee now of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is now residing in you. It's like God has marked you, sealed you, as though he said, you're mine. I'm putting my mark, my seal upon you. That's what is happening here. So the Holy Spirit is in us. We are now a child of the King. We're children of God. We're marked by the Spirit. He's put his, you know, that stamp on us in a sense. But here's the deal. So every believer has the Holy Spirit. But does the Holy Spirit have every believer? See, there's a third and a subsequent work, I believe, that comes even after salvation where the Holy Spirit now begins to not just be in you, but fill you to overflowing, where the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that third Greek word, epi, which means upon and overflowing. Remember, now, Jesus, as he's ministering to his disciples, it's in John 20, where, uh, I think it's in John 20, where he breathes upon his disciples and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. I believe it's then that the disciples are truly, you know, born again. They have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The Holy Spirit is in them. And, but Jesus said something else to them later on. After he died, he rose again. He's meeting with his disciples in his glorified body. He says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Epi. To overflowing. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. See, there's a subsequent work that the Holy Spirit desires to do in every life where he not, is just, not just 
coming alongside you. He's not just dwelling in you as that seal of God, but he is overflowing and empowering the life of the believer because I don't know about you, I need help. I need lots of help. Because we look at these things and we think, how am I going to carry out your commandments, God? How am I going to live this way? I mess up all the time. How am I going to do this? Oh, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be witnesses. You're going to shine for me. You're going you're to make me known in the world. Because what the Holy Spirit does is he begins to remove you and moves you out of the way so that he can shine forth Jesus up much more. That's why we need to be overflowing in the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people thought of, you know, the overflowing Spirit. You can, you can label it however you want. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, the filling of the Holy However you want to label it, it doesn't matter. The idea is that the Holy Spirit has got you to where he is leading and in control, where it's no longer our flesh. That's the first thing to arise in situations. And that so often happens. And it reveals that, man, I'm, I'm a little dry. When I get poked and bumped, it should be the Holy Spirit spilling over, overflowing, just spilling over where it just points people to Jesus. But when it's the flesh, it's anger, it's bitterness, maybe hatred, wrath, that just reveals, man, I'm dry. I haven't been filled with the Spirit. There's still too much of me. And that's what the Holy Spirit enables for us is to kind of push us out of the way, right? You can take the contents of a glass. I should have had a good visual illustration here today. I missed it. Let's take my cup. No, we can't take. That's too precious. We're not going to do that. That's my coffee. We're not going to mess. No, just kidding. You can take a cup, you know, and you can look at the contents in there. And guess what? When I just take some more, I start to pour into it, whatever's in there. Oh, I did that illustration before, didn't I? It, it didn't work so well. That's maybe why I'm not doing it again. But we had a cup with some, you know, balls of stuff in there. And you pour water into it. It just starts to fill up. And it pushes everything else out. That's what happens. It just removes our flesh as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And how we need that daily in our lives, you see. Mm. Okay. So you get the idea here. This is a work that we need in our lives. That Jesus hasn't left us on our own here to, to try to make it work. To try to make it happen. To figure it out. He's given us the helper. And we need to live lives daily dependent on the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh feeling daily. I want to pray every day before I get out of bed. Lord, fill me with your spirit today. I don't want to go a minute where it's just me because it's not going to take long before that flesh begins to rear its ugly head and just blah, comes out. But I want, I want the Holy Spirit to come out. I want Jesus to be seen in my life. And that's not natural, you see. These are not natural things for us to, to love one another, to obey. These aren't natural things for me. I have a hard enough time just obeying the laws of the land, let alone the laws of God here and his commandments. These are not natural things for us to want to do this, but that's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. Say, yeah, you know what? I got a remedy for that. It's going to expel the flesh and allow the spirit to have way which will point to me ultimately and make Jesus known in and through our lives. That's what we need. So Jesus says to his disciples, he's the spirit of truth. And so in other words, man, if we want more of the spirit, it, it takes us yielding to the spirit. It takes us being in the word of God, allowing us to be pointed to the word of God, to the truth of who Jesus is, right? 
and, and allowing the Spirit just to come and fill us and overflow in us and just to be yielding, dying to self, saying, it's no longer I that I want to be living for. I want to be living for you, Jesus. So Jesus says, look at this in verse 18. I don't need those anyways. Just my glasses here. All right. Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is about to go to the cross, right? He's about to be taken out of the way. The world is looking to extinguish the light of Jesus. They're, they're looking just to put him out, snuff him out. So Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's not going to be seen. But then he says, I'm going to come to you. Now he's going to come and appear to them for a short while after his resurrection. But what he's really meaning is, I'm going to come to you in and through the Holy Spirit. See, what did Jesus say? He says, I'm going to give you another helper. Now, there's a couple of different Greek words for that. There's another meaning, another of a different sort. Different, right? But then there's another Greek word meaning another of the same kind. So when Jesus says, I'm going to send another helper, he says, I'm going to send a help to you that's going to so closely resemble me. It's going to be just like me. It's going to be as though I am right here with you. And Jesus says, I will come to you. He's saying, you're not going to miss a beat because the Holy Spirit is going to act on my behalf and is going to reveal me to you and enable and empower you to live in me and for me. I'm going to send another helper. So Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you. Now, we know these things to be true, I'd say, theologically. We understand the role, you know, the Holy Spirit. We can probably point to scriptures about the Holy Spirit. But do we live with a desperation for the Spirit in our lives where we are recognizing our complete and utter need for the Spirit, realizing that I'm going to fall flat on my face every day if I'm trying to do this on my own? I think the disciples woke up probably every day going, where's Jesus? Where'd he go? Where's he at? I want to be with Jesus. Where's he at? I think wherever Jesus was, the disciples were sure that they want to be right there because they're going, Jesus is going to be our help. He's going to be our provision. He's going to be our comfort. We're going to have everything we need when we're with Jesus. We got to be with Jesus. Where's Jesus? They're waking up, I'm sure, going, where'd he go? Where, where's he at? I got to get there. Do we live that way in regards to the Holy Spirit? Are we waking up saying, Holy Spirit, fill me today. I need you. I'm desperate for you because I can't do this on my own. Jesus has given us help, comfort. Another helper that is so much like him where the disciples were so dependent on Jesus, we now need to be so dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's how we need to be living. And it's a daily work. Ephesians 5.18 says, and don't be drunk with wine in which just more flesh comes out. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it implies and means in the Greek, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's an ongoing work. Ongoing work. Continually overflowing because I get bumped, I get poked, I get knocked around, spills out, I need to be refilled. Refilled so that whatever happens in whatever situation, the Holy Spirit is what's coming out and revealing Jesus in all I do, in all you do, that's where our heart and desperation needs to lie here. Man, we've been given such a blessing. Jesus is so good. Say, so, yeah, I'm going, but you're not going to miss a beat. I'm going to give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. So we see the power of the Holy Spirit here. Jesus laying this out to comfort troubled hearts. But then we also see the provision of the Father. Look at verse 19 here. A little while longer, 
and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So Jesus says, listen, a little while longer, the world's not going to see me any longer. Again, he's going to go to the cross. The world's desire is to extinguish the light. They want to put him to death. And then they're not going to see him any longer. But Jesus says, but you'll see me. After his resurrection, Jesus came and he appeared to his disciples. But he only appeared to those, and, and to others, but he only appeared to those that loved him or followers him. Jesus didn't appear to just the, the general unbelieving public at his, after his resurrection. He appeared to those that loved him. They got to witness and experience something that strengthened them and Jesus got to share with them, because I live, you will live also. You see, the disciples heard Jesus talking all the time about going to the cross and, and being crucified and dying. And then he said, you know, I'll, I'll raise again. But I think every time they heard him talking about his death, they didn't hear anything else after that. They're like, what is he talking about? He can't die. He's the Messiah. No, you got to reign. You're, you're the guy. And he said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I don't think they even heard that half the time. Because they just got so concerned about, what are you talking about going to the cross? They missed it. They weren't expecting. They were, they were heavy hearts after his crucifixion. But then Jesus comes. He's going to reveal himself to him because I live. He's going to show them. He's going to give them tangible proof. Listen, what I said was real. I'm sure anytime they thought about, wait a second here. Is that, that's just is too good to be true. Is that really what he's going to do? Die? And, no, come on. But now they're going to see him. And Jesus is going to be able to say, because I live, because I've defeated sin and death, because I've risen again, you two are going to live. Hey, that's our hope today, everybody. We serve a risen Savior, not just on Easter. Every day of the year, we serve a risen Savior who is alive, who is active, who reveals himself to the Holy Spirit. We serve a risen Savior. Because he lives, guess what? You're going to live also. You have life in him. And it's through him that you have life, not just eternal life to look forward to, but life today. Amen. Living the abundant life. Oh, may you be experiencing that and enjoying that life that Jesus has for you. He says, at that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and you and me and I in you. Verse 20. Now, at what day? What is he talking about? Well, it's very possible that Jesus is speaking about his resurrection when he appears to his disciples. At that day, you're gonna know, man, that, who I am is who I said I was, and I'm in the Father. I believe also he's talking about the day of Pentecost. And that's when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And suddenly now, the disciples, the apostles, all those that are gathered, they're going to be seeing all this incredible stuff taking place, where they were once timid men, Peter denying Jesus just before a young girl. I mean, the guy was timid. He goes from that to a few weeks later where he's preaching before thousands, declaring who Jesus is and what he's done. What happened? The Holy Spirit happened. And they saw the Holy Spirit poured out. Suddenly they began to talk in other languages. And all those around them began to hear them speak in other languages. And they're all thinking, how are they doing that? And they're all going, this is beyond me. That's exactly right. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to give you that which is beyond you, that's not of you, that is beyond your flesh, to do a work of the Lord. And so they're speaking other languages, and everybody's hearing them what? Declaring the wonderful works of God. They're being witnesses of God, just as Jesus said they would be. They're in Acts 
It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But in that day now, they're gonna realize, oh man, yeah, Jesus. You're in the Father and the Holy Spirit now is present with us. That's the other helper, just like you that you promised. And it reminds us that now, yeah, we're in you. You're in us. This is what's happening here. That's what verse 20 is speaking of. That I'm in my Father and you and me and I in you. You'll know. Do you know that you are in Christ and that Christ is in you? Here's a couple of tests that we can look at here in scripture to help us see if we are truly in Christ. Well, Romans 8, 1. First of all, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says there, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. Have those old things passed away? Have those things of the flesh, the old man, the old nature, have they kind of passed away? Or are they still the first thing to kind of come to the surface? Because if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You might look at yourself and go, what's going on? Boy, I used to respond this way, but now I'm responding. What is happening? Jesus is what's happening. You're in Christ. And that's, that should be evident to those that are in Christ. So Jesus says, man, you're gonna know on that day. Oh, you're gonna see the work going on verse 21 he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him so there again very similar to what we saw in verse 15 that started our study here today he who has my commandments and keeps them it's he who loves me see love is a lot more than just words we typically think, man, I'm going to show that I love them by saying I love them. You can take a, a, a husband that tells his wife 50 times a day, I love you. But if he goes and has an affair and cheats on her, all those words meant nothing. You demonstrate your love by how you live. Love is an action. It's something that we do. My love language in my home is, you know, just I love just to hug. I love to show affection. I love to hug my kids. I love to hug my wife. Um, it's not very reciprocal. Um, my wife's love language is do the dishes, do the laundry. Yeah. I think my love language is a lot better. And I prefer mine a lot more. Maybe... You could let my wife know it's actually really, she should take it. But, um, but you know what? If I love my wife, I know, man, I'm going to do some dishes. I'm going to do some laundry. That's how I'm going to demonstrate that I love my wife. And one day, honey, I, I will do that. Soon, soon. Yeah, she's, yeah. Love waits, love hopes long. Okay, but... <laughs> No, I do. I do. I do that stuff once in a while. I do. <laughs> so it's going to be demonstrated. He who loves me, or he who has my commandments and knows them, it is he who loves me. So following Jesus. Now, Jesus says something interesting here. He says there still in verse 21, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And you look at that and you go, wait, hold on a second. Isn't the whole premise of God's word like that God is love, right? And that you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What do you mean he, does he only love those then that, no, understand something here. 
God is love and God loves the whole world. But here's the great thing. When we are walking in obedience to God's word and when we're demonstrating our love for him, we get to experience afresh and anew the love of God. This is how we are gonna know that God loves us is when we follow his word. We get to experience, it's not that God loves us anymore or loved us any less, but it's then that we experience, oh yeah, that's how I know he, I'm loved by him. You know, we just, we were just going through the book of Jonah on Wednesday night. Take Jonah for instance. Jonah is called to go and preach to the, the people of Nineveh, the Assyrian people. Go and preach to them and, and Jonah's like, I don't like those people very much. They are mean people. I'm kind of fearful of going there. I don't want to go to Nineveh. So Jonah goes as far in the opposite direction of Nineveh that he can go. He's getting on a ship, going to Tarshish. He's saying, God, find somebody else to do that, right? Grab Hosea. He's probably done with his wife, Gomer, anyway. She's a mess. Grab Hosea. He'll do it. I don't want to, I don't want to do that, all right? It's in the word. I'm not making things up. It's in the word. I'm not being mean. I'm just... <laughs> So Jonah goes the far away opposite direction. Guess what? Jonah's in a ship, sleeping, storm comes up. The sailors on the ship are like, this is like a storm. This is like the perfect storm. This is a storm we've never seen before. These are our experienced mariners and they're freaking out. They're like, Jonah, who are you? What have you done? What, what is going on? And Jonah realizes, yeah, it's on me, man. So Jonah gets thrown into the water. And he gets swallowed up by a big fish. He's got seaweed wrapped around him. He's in the belly of a fish. That can't be too pleasant, right? Three days, three nights. Guess what? Is Jonah sitting there going, oh, I'm sure glad God loves me. I don't think he's experiencing the love of God right now. He's praying. He's like, man, I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. But did God ever stop loving him? No. In fact, the fish is God's love for him to save him and spare him. But Jonah's not experiencing the love of God right now until he begins to walk in obedience, you see. And so when we're walking in obedience to the Lord, we're gonna experience that love of God in a fresh way. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus is gonna show himself to us, right? He's just gonna reveal himself to us. Now, here's the thing. I want you to catch this, okay? Because as obeying God's word shows our love for him, our obedience must flow out of love for the Lord. It's our love for God that motivates us to walk in obedience. Look at what one writer said here. Obedience must flow out of a heart of love. Obedience without love is nothing more than the pursuit of self-righteousness. We will never obey his word if all we feel is a sense of moral obligation. We will never obey his word if all we want is to shore up our standing before God. If we look at the words of Jesus and think, I can make him happy if I just do this one thing or, or he won't be angry or disappointed with me as long as I don't mess up on this command, then we're not obeying out of love for him. We are simply trying to earn his favor. If you want to conquer sin, and obey Jesus, you don't simply try harder to obey. You stoke the flames of your love for him. The antidote for disobedience isn't obedience, it's love. If you struggle to obey Jesus, then focus on loving him more. Beg God to give you a passion for Jesus. The greater your love grows, the easier 
obedience becomes. You see, first of all, we understand that we love him because he first loved us. Our love for him doesn't earn his love. It just helps us to experience his love. But he loves you. And he's not calling you to live a life of obedience because he wants a bunch of slaves doing his bidding. He says, that's how your love is going to be demonstrated, just as it is among one another. But don't let obedience become the chief goal. Let love be your chief goal. And obedience flows out of that love. There's so many people that struggle, and I've seen this time and time again, that beat themselves up because they feel like, oh, I'm just not doing enough. I'm not being good enough. I'm not, I'm really messing up in this. And they go, I, I just gotta try harder. I'm just gonna do better. And stop trying because it's not in you to do that. You're gonna keep failing, beating yourself up, bringing yourself into condemnation. Just start to understand the love and the grace of God and start to pursue a love for the Lord. The antidote for disobedience is not obedience. It's love, love for God. Just do what you do out of love for him and you're gonna see obedience just continue to come and become natural in your life. Carry on his word, loving him, loving his word. It's gonna become natural in that. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's begin to see Jesus all the more. See, what did Jesus call the Holy Spirit? The the spirit of truth, right? And he's gonna point us in all truth. And what did Jesus say in John 14, six? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's just gonna point us to Jesus. It's just gonna make Jesus known. Well, look at verse 22. Judas not as scary, and, and I'm sure Judas is sitting here saying, thank you, Holy Spirit, for putting that in the Bible, because, man, I don't want to be blamed for being, you know, that Judas. This isn't Judas Iscariot. This is the other disciple named Judas. Some believe his name was uh, Thaddeus or references Thaddeus. But here's the thing is that Judas Iscariot is no longer in the picture right now. He has left during the Last Supper, all right? Jesus says, what you do, go and do quickly, Judas. So Judas has left them. It's just Jesus and the 11 now. So Judas is listening to all this and he says to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So Judas is looking at this and understand the whole picture and image they had of the Messiah, who they believed Jesus to be. They thought the Messiah was gonna be this political leader. He's gonna come to this world and he's gonna set up his kingdom. He's gonna restore Israel to you know their freedom and and their sovereignty again as a nation and uh, he's going to set the kingdom so they're expecting this to be a kind of global thing right this is going to be seen this isn't just private this is going to become very public that's obviously what the messiah in their mind a political leader has got to do right so judas is looking at this going what this doesn't make sense how are you going to reveal yourself to us only not to the world well he's got the timing a little bit wrong right Because what Jesus is speaking of is that he's going to do a work first that's going to be a spiritual work, a personal work. He's not seeking to set up his kingdom on earth right now, but rather his kingdom in the hearts of men and women by his reign and rule. He's going to set up his throne 
in the hearts of his people. That's what he's gonna do his first coming. He's gonna provide that through his death and resurrection, through conquering sin and death, and by providing the means to bring us into right standing with God. So we can be followers of God, so that we can be a part of his family. That's what Jesus is gonna do. But he's gonna come at a second coming, which is yet future. Revelation 19, we talked about this last week, right? That Jesus is gonna take us to heaven with him, the rapture, for seven years you're gonna be in heaven while the tribulation is happening, and then Jesus is gonna come back to this world with us at his side. Read Revelation 19, his saints at his side. And that's when Jesus is gonna reveal himself to the world. Not as a suffering servant, but as the conquering king. So that's what Judas is getting confused about. Man, that's what I'm picturing. Jesus is like, yeah, that's coming. Just not right now. Not in the timing that you have. And notice Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that good? That's that rain in the hearts. And again, just the, the idea that the father and the son desire to make themselves at home with us. Remember Jesus in, in the beginning of the chapter said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places, many rooms. Jesus says, yeah, that's the reality. But guess what? We want to come and find room in your heart. And we want to come and dwell with you right now, presently. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5, I love this verse. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so we see the evidence of just the work of God through the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Father and the Son desired to take up residence in us through the Holy Spirit, make themselves at home with us. Have you provided a home for the Father, the Son? It's the Holy Spirit at home in your life. Have you provided a place where you've invited them in and said, I want you to take up residence in my life. I want you to be at home in my heart. That's what we should be desiring and praying. And Jesus desires this. The Father desires this. He's made provision for that, possible for us. He desires to be in relationship with you. How sweet that is. Are you blessed by that today? Yeah? A couple of you? That's great. We'll pray for the rest of you. Verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus says, man, this isn't anything that I've made up. This isn't something I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of the Father here. So we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit available to all of us. We've seen the provision of the Father. He comes and he reveals himself, desires to be in relationship with us. And then we see the peace of Jesus. Look at verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but... The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So Jesus says, again, listen, when I go to the Father, it's a good thing. So I don't go to the Father, the Holy Spirit can't be sent, right? So Jesus needs to go to the Father, but then the Holy Spirit will come and he's gonna bring remembrance to him because the disciples, I'm sure, are thinking, how are we gonna do this? How are we going to get by without you, Jesus? The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to lead you into all truth and bring to remembrance all these things. He's going to empower you and help you. And I love what, what Jesus reminded his disciples of in, in Mark 13, verse 11, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, don't worry 
about this beforehand or premeditate what you'll speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will empower you in a way where suddenly, man, you realize this isn't me. Maybe you've had encounters like that when you've been speaking to someone, and all of a sudden scriptures start coming out. And you're like, I didn't even know I knew that word. It's amazing. This is so cool. What's going on? It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit saying, shut up, just go with it. I'm helping you here, okay? Don't act surprised, man. We got this, right? But I'm sure you've encountered that at times where you're just like, wow, this is so good. This is just flowing out of me. And just the Holy Spirit leading you, leading you in all truth here and bringing to remembrance those things. And then Jesus says in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Oh, aren't you so glad for the peace of Jesus? He gives us a peace that is so beyond, so out of what this world can give because the world doesn't know this peace. The world tries to give a peace that is very conditional and it's temporal. It, it kind of is, you know, wavering. It's fickle. It's like, if you go along with my plan here or what I want to see happen, then we'll have peace. But the minute you break that, oh, forget it. But you see, Jesus brings a peace that's beyond the world, that's not conditional on anything. He wants us to be at peace with him and to know his peace. And here's the thing is, in Romans 5, 1, we're told that um, we have peace with God. And it's because of what Jesus has done for us. He's brought forgiveness of sin. He's brought us into right standing with God so that we can have peace with God today. That's something the world doesn't know. Peace with God. And we also have the peace of God, which guards our heart. And it's a peace that Philippians forces, it, it goes beyond all understanding. See, it's a peace that we don't even get sometimes. We don't understand. We're like, how can I be at peace right now? Let's just sue the Lord. And by placing our trust in him. Right? That's why it says, don't be anxious for anything, but in but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request before God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Sometimes we're going through a situation and we're lacking peace and we're trying to make sense of it. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to deal with it in our, in our way, in our terms. Jesus says, no, wait a second. I want to give you a peace that goes beyond all your understanding. If you're trying to figure it out, then you're leaving God out. If you're trying to make sense of it, then you're leaving God out. What God wants you to do is just put your trust in him. Say, I may not understand all, how this works. I may not get it all, but I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna believe that you're gonna do a work here. And when we surrender it to the Lord and we trust him, it's a peace that goes beyond our understanding and it guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Peace I, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It's not as the world gives. And he reminds him, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear, Jesus says. We're with you. I'm gonna reveal myself to you. I'm gonna be with you. My father and I are gonna make ourselves at home with you. You're not left and abandoned as orphans. And we're gonna to come to you. We're gonna provide help. We have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. 
Don't let your heart be troubled. Guard your heart. Jesus says, you have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. How is the Father greater? Well, he's greater in, in his glory. Jesus came and gave that up to some degree. He came and put, clothed himself in humanity and surrendered himself to the point that he took up this humble attitude. He humbled himself to the point of death. The Father's greater in that he's in his glory, but Jesus is gonna go to the Father where he will be in his glory as well. And he says, and now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. See, Jesus is laying all this out for his disciples so that when they see this, these things happen, they're gonna go, ah, oh, that's exactly what Jesus told us. We were thinking, no, this yeah, can't, can't be true. He's just giving us a line, man. He's just trying to come, and then he's, he's gonna be out of here and we're gonna be like, ah. Oh. But they're gonna see all this come to fruition and they're gonna go, that's exactly what he said. And Jesus says, I'm telling you beforehand so that your faith can be strengthened. You know, the Bible is filled with prophecy, which is meant to assure us that what we have here is completely true and accurate to where we put confidence in this. Jesus is saying, I want you to put confidence in who I am and what I've done. I'm telling you beforehand so that you may believe your faith can be strengthened. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the rule of this world is coming and he's nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do arise, let us go from here. So Jesus says, all right, time is short. I'm not gonna keep talking much with you but yet we're gonna have another, you know, number of chapters of Jesus dialoguing. It's like a good pastor, right? We're wrapping up now but, you know, we've got another half an hour to share with you that kind of a thing right he says time is short because what's happening is that see in just a moment now he's going to get up they're going to leave the upper room they're going to make their way to the garden of gethsemane jesus is going to continue to share with his disciples he's going to spend some time in prayer and then what's going to happen judas is going to be leading the religious leaders to jesus to betray jesus to show jesus to them and they're going to arrest jesus and it's all being driven by the ruler of the world here, Jesus says, who's Satan? Satan filled Judas Iscariot, we were told there in, in John 13. Satan entered Judas, and so it's all being driven. But notice what Jesus says, but you know what? He's got nothing in me, or he's got nothing on me. He might come and try to throw out the accusations. He might come and think that he's actually gaining the upper hand by me going to the cross, but he's got nothing on me because what I'm doing is I'm providing victory. Where Satan thought he's getting the upper hand, he's getting the victory, Jesus is saying, man, I'm actually defeating the enemy and I'm providing victory for the whole of the world. The Satan has got nothing on me is what Jesus is saying. Don't you love that? Praise the Lord for that. Jesus is going to surrender himself. This isn't Satan finally thinking, ah, I've got him now. I've trapped him. Man, he didn't realize I was working through one of his disciples, working for that. Ah, I didn't know. Satan's not like got anything on Jesus. Jesus like, man, Satan, this is all part of my plan all along. I'm willingly going to the cross so that I can defeat you and provide salvation for the world. Notice what Jesus says there at the end, verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so 
I do. What did Jesus say in verse 15, the very start of our study? If you love me, keep my commandments. Guess what? Jesus isn't asking anything of you that he hasn't done himself. But he demonstrates the way. He goes before us as a good shepherd should and does. And he says, I'm showing my love for the Father by carrying out his commands. And it's his will that I surrender my life to the point of death. Jesus hasn't asked anything of you that he hasn't done himself. How do I know that? Because you're all still sitting here alive. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death for you, out of love for you, out of love for the Father, out of love to carry out his will. So when he says, man, follow my commandments, man, we got, this is nothing. He's demonstrated the way, but he's also given you help through the Holy Spirit. Let us be those that are daily filled with the Spirit, asking for that help being filled to overflowing, that we might carry out the will of God, the work of God, and do all things in a way that demonstrate and point to Jesus Christ. That's what he desires for us. Let's have the worship team come up. Let's stand, and we're just gonna close our service with a bit of a response time here.